We just want him to be in charge of everything that we do. So I, I, he put on our heart a few, a few weeks back to teach on the minor prophets. It's not, a, it's not a topic that a lot of pastors pick up, and I'll tell you why. It's not easy material to pick and choose from because they all kind of seem repetition. It's all about doom and gloom and tragedy and judgment, and that's what the prophets were given for, amen, to, to, to bring the word of the Lord about the sin of people uh, and so the, hopefully that they would turn from their wicked ways. So today we are on the seventh book, so we've crossed a halfway point, uh, the book of Nahum. And um, so I'm excited about this text because right, in, I don't want to get too hard ahead of myself, but there is one verse that I'm going to camp out on for a little bit today. You'll see in a minute. But first let me read Nahum chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. If you have your Bible, you can either open your Bible or you can your Bible on today. That's what I was told, right? So turn your Bibles on, open your Bible to Nahum chapter 1. Did I say chapter 7? I said chapter 1, okay, because there's only three chapters. Oh, that was a test if I did. (laughs) Chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. The burden against Nineveh. The book of the vision of Nahum, the Echoshite, the Elkoshite. There you go. I, I practiced that all week long too. Nobody knows what an Elkoshite is, by the way, either. God is Jesus. God is Jesus. (laughs) We might need to stop and do a teaching on the Trinity right now. So, Woo! I'm going to pray right after I read. You know, let's let's pray before I read the text today. How's that sound? Lord, help me with my lips today. I don't want to be a man with stammering lips. I want to be a man who is used by your Holy Spirit to speak. The words that you put in my mouth, God, the, the sermon that you have put in my heart, Lord, for our congregation, I pray that you would help me just to, to do what I'm called to do, and that's share the word of God. Open our ears and our hearts today that we would receive. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So turn your Bibles to Nahum chapter 1. I'm going to read to you verses 1 through 7. The burden against Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum the Elkoshite. God is jealous, and the Lord avenges. The Lord avenges and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries, and he reserves wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up the rivers. The shan and carmel wither, and the flowers of Lebanon wilts. The mountains quake before him, the hills melt, and the earth heaves at his presence. Yes, the world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before his indignation, and who can endure the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire, and the rocks are thrown down by him. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who trust in him. This book is pretty much a sequel to the book of Jonah. You've heard the name Nineveh, the city of Nineveh, when we preached on Jonah a few weeks ago. Jonah, if you remember, was sent to Nineveh, which is or was the capital city of Assyria. And he entered the, he entered the city, remember, preaching a message of judgment And when the Ninevites heard the message, what happened? They repented. They turned. Matter of fact, if you remember, all the whole city 
Even the, the king turned from his wicked way, and everybody started worshiping the Lord again. 150 years later is where we are today in the book of Nahum. About 632 B.C. is when he arrives on the scene and starts preaching to the Assyrians because they have turned away from the commitments that they have made to the Lord. Well, you're saying, well, pastor, it's 150 years later, but I'll tell you, it's our obligation to raise our children and our children's children in the house of God and to teach them the oracles of God and to share with them the wonderful things that God has done in our life. Amen? Man, I love... My kids are at that age now because you guys know my testimony. It's a little graphic. They didn't hear a lot of that as young kids. They didn't need to know that about dad. But now that they're maturing and they're a little older, I love being able to share with them the stories, not because I'm glorifying the past, but because what God has been able to do in my life in the present. Amen? Amen. He completely transformed a lost sinner on his way to H-E double hockle sticks. <laughs> there might still be kids here, so I'm trying to be... G-rated, you know what I'm saying. But by the time the book was written of Nahum, the Assyrian army was at the height of its military power. They were the strongest they had ever were and ever will be. They were looking to expand their territory, their kingdom. They had already taken down the northern kingdom of Israel. They had already taken out Egypt. And now they are setting their eyes on Judah and the surrounding nations. The Assyrians had become brutal in their conquests and in their invasions of, of, of other countries. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that they were hanging the bodies of their victims on poles, that they were putting their skin on the tents, on the walls of their tents. And those are just a few. Those are the lighter examples that I wanted to share with you today. Nahum 1, verse 1, refers to his message. Throw that up there. Yeah, chapter 1, verse 1, a burden against Nineveh. Now, if you have your, I like to call these advertisement fans because that's what they are. <laughs> Don't call them bulletins because people won't want them. But if you call them an advertisement fan, everybody wants one. Look at that. It works really well. But on the back of that, there's a little fill-in for you. So if you don't have one, raise your hand, and I'll get Anthony to bring you one if you'd like one. If you need a fan, if you need a, a fill-in. Okay, praise God. Praise the Lord. So the, the, the name burden, it actually means heavy. Okay, we kind of understand that. The message is heavy because it's a message of doom and gloom. Matter of fact, here's a fact about the content of this, of this entire book. In 612 B.C., the Assyrians fell forever. They are no longer in existence. They were wiped out. I think it's ironic that the name Nahum means Comfort or cons consolation. So while Nahum's message is one of judgment and wrath, it was comforting to Judah and the surrounding na nations because in the midst of all the tragedy, in the midst of all the, the doom and gloom, the the, the, the preaching of the downfall, there's this one verse, verse 7, that offers us hope. And it says, the Lord is good. 
a stronghold in the day of trouble. And he knows those who trust in him. So while I can go on a tangent and talk about judgment, and I can talk about if you are not following the Lord, if you turn away from the Lord, and I'll probably hit on some of those things, but what I want to camp on, what I want to focus on today is I want to tell you that the Lord is good. I want to tell you that, that God is good. That, that, that there's nothing ungood about God. Even when you're reading the books of the minor prophets and the major prophets, and it looks like doom and gloom, God is still good. He's still good. And so I want to pull a few things out of this text for you today. Number one, we have heavenly assurance, not insurance. I already got my fire insurance. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm saying? You guys don't know what that means, huh? Fire insurance. You know, if you go to the AT double hockey sticks, that's where fire is, right? My fire insurance is Jesus. Amen? But we have a heavenly assurance. The statement that the Lord is good is made right in the middle of all the doom and gloom, all the judgment, all names like, dude, 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 you guys, matter of fact, look at this. Pull that text up again, the verses 1 through 7. Just take a look at what's in verses 2 through 6. The Lord is furious. The Lord will take vengeance. He is great in power. He will not at all acquit the wicked. <laughs> he rebukes the sea and he drives up rivers. The mountains quake, the hills melt. <laughs> My gosh. The heavens heave. At his, the earth heaves at his presence. His fury is poured out like fire. The rocks are thrown down by him. Man, this should probably scare the bejeebers out of some of you. Or maybe it can encourage you because in the midst of all that, he comes up with verse 7. And I love it because he says the Lord is good. A stronghold in the day of trouble. And he knows those who trust in him. As I already mentioned, the Assyrians were the wickedest people on the planet. But listen... They were no more wicked than people are today. People have despised God's word. They have ignored God's love. And they have cut God completely out of their lives. But even in the midst of all that, the Lord is good. The Lord is good. That word good, it's there. That's, that, that's the... I left you the definition. It means pleasant, agreeable, rich, valuable. The Lord is good. I know we're living in hard times. I know that, that we're looking ahead and we're looking at this election coming up and, and we're torn on what way to vote. And if we listen to the media, you'll get even more confused. Seek the voice of God. I, I can't tell you who to vote for. That's not my responsibility. That's my job. My job is to tell you to vote and to vote your conscience. But as you're preparing to vote and planning to vote, think about what the president is going to be doing, appointing people to the Supreme Court, putting people in office that are going to be there way longer than any president we elect this coming election season. Pray, ask God, who do you want? Because I'll tell you, all government authorities are appointed by God. But it uses men and women to appoint them. Okay, that's my soapbox for the political arena, Amen. 
I love what Psalm 145 verse 9 says. The Lord is good to all. Don't you like that? To everybody. Lottie, dottie, everybody. And his tender mercies are over all his works. In spite of how you feel or think or or what you think you know, the Lord is good. Read read this next text with me. Psalm 34 verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Read this next one with me. Psalm 105 or 100 verse 5. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations. Read this last one. Psalm 135 verse 3. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praises to his name, for it is pleasant. You know what I love about Grapevine? That we are becoming a, a known as a worshiping church. Yeah. I am not at all mad when the Lord shows up and I don't get a chance to preach. Because worship is unto the Lord. My preaching is for you all. Amen? Amen. But anytime that God shows up in the room, I don't need to speak because he can do more in a split second than I can stay in 30 minutes. Amen? Plus, it gives me a break. Hallelujah. <laughs> I want to stop dealing with God. Because last week, right, we're in worship, first service, and, I'm, and I looked up at Mike, and I said, do one more song. And during that song, you guys were here, the kids' testimonies, we were all weeping. It was crazy, crazy. And the Lord showed up, and, and then we didn't even do one more song. We just did, we did all songs. <laughs> so second service, I'm like, Cool, it's kind of moving the same way. I'll just preach this sermon tonight. I don't have to study when I go home. I'll take a nap. So I look at Mike and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to preach. I mean, we're just going to worship and guess what? I ended up having to preach my message. I didn't didn't get my nap. Did you all feel bad for me? Nobody does, huh? That's what we pay you for, Pastor. Shut up and go deal with it. (laughs) I don't pay you to sleep. Plenty of time to sleep when you go when you go to heaven, huh? Amen. Yeah, but who's going to want to? But all these verses they teach us the same truth. They teach us that the Lord is good. I love what Romans eight twenty eight says, and we know that all things work together for the good of those who what love God and to those who are called according to His purposes. So all things. Whatever trial you're walking through right now, and I, I want to be sensitive. I'm not going to make lighthearted of whatever you're walking through. There's tragedies, there's trials, there's hard times. But I want you to know, I want you to look at that voice and understand that, that if, if you love God, if you love God, all things are going to work out for His purposes. Amen? I know that's hard to hear, and it's a hard thing to believe when you're in the middle of it, but you have to be reminded, especially if you're in a trial today, that God is going to work it out. What the the enemy meant for evil, God meant for good. It's easy to say the Lord is good when life is good, but it's a little harder to say when times are bad. So if you don't get anything anything else out of today's message, I want you to understand, I want you to get the fact that God is good. Go ahead and say it that time. God is good. All the time. All the time. God is great. Number two. I know. <laughs> Teaching you all self-discipline right now while I preach. We have a heavenly assistance. Hmm. If we go back to verse 7, it says the Lord is good. It goes on to say a stronghold in the day of trouble. 
This word stronghold means that it's a place of safety. It's a place of protection and refuge. It's a safe harbor in the storm. Don't you know that sooner or later we're all going to need a stronghold? In this life, as you walk with the Lord, you all will need a stronghold. You'll have seasons where strongholds matter to you. Listen, trouble will come your way. (gasps) Why didn't anybody ever tell me that? (laughs) You thought it was going to be all kumbaya, huh? Give your life to Jesus and sing kumbaya the rest of your life. No, actually, it gets a little more difficult sometimes because now I have a set of morals. I have a compass. I I have a, a plumb line. Going back a few weeks. That I'm held accountable to. Plus the enemy's mad at me. When I wake up in the morning, I don't know about you, but I, I make hell tremble. Amen. And not because I'm all that, because I'm about to do my father's business. You know what I'm saying? I'm about to love on some people. I'm about, I'm about to tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and the enemy of my soul, he don't like that. But trouble is for everybody. I love what Job says. I, I don't love it. Actually, I hate it, but it, it's just the Word of God. So I love the Word of God, so I'm kind of torn. It's like bipolar moment right here. <laughs> Job 5.7 says, Yet man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. What about Job 14? A man who was born of a woman is of a few days and full of trouble. So you, you get a few days of good times, amen? And then it's trouble. And I was thinking about that. I was like, a few days? I was okay till like, you know, teenager. But you got to remember, a day is like a thousand years to the Lord, right? So maybe this verse should say, a man is born of a woman in a few seconds full of trouble. I don't know. That word trouble, it, it talks about when, when life is closing in around you. When, when the pressure's on. That's not talking about when you stub your toe. Yeah, that hurts. It's talking about... It's talking about issues. It's talking about the enemy of your soul trying to steal your joy. Man, I was in my prayer closet last night just sitting at my desk, and and I just began weeping in the presence of the Lord. And and my my cry is, and I want to be vulnerable to the church today because, because you need to understand I'm a man just like anybody else in this room. I'm a person, I'm a human being, and, 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 I have, and I have troubles, and I have pains, and, and I've been struggling with this lack of joy in my life. And I'll tell you what culminated it yesterday. I sniffed at my wife over something stupid, and that's what I was weeping about last night. It's like, God, that's not me. I don't want, I don't want the enemy of my soul to steal my joy. And so the reason I want to be vulnerable is because I'm your pastor and, and I need the saints to pray for me. And I, I just felt this burden lift off me last night as I sat at my desk worship. Usually I get on the knee on my knees by the bed in the extra room and I just, I just sat there. And I said, God, bring my joy back. I don't, I don't want to, I shouldn't have to fight for that. It's, the joy of the Lord is my strength. It's given to me freely, amen? amen. And if I don't, talk about it in rooms like this, if I don't come alongside brothers and sisters of the Lord and and let them know, hey, this is what I'm struggling with today, I don't think I'll ever get past it. I am. I already am. Amen? I just defeated him right there. 
See, he is defeated by the blood of the Lamb and the word of my testimony. Amen? So that word trouble talks about when life feels like it's pressuring you. I've never been one. I've always been the jokester. And so to feel the weight of that, it's, it's unfamiliar to me. That weight of depression, I, I, I never understood. People will tell me, I'm depressed. I'm sorry, I don't understand. I've never been depressed. But now I get a, a little sense. I don't think I'm in a depression state, but I get a sense of what that must be like. But there's a, safe of, there's a, there's a place of safety. It's in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 10. It says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are, listen, the righteous run to it and are saying, you can't run to it if you're not in Christ. There is no strong power for those who are not in Jesus. You have to be in Christ. Our assistance comes from him. And so if you are a righteous person, that doesn't mean you're perfect. It means you're in Christ. Then you can run to the strong tower. You can run to that place of safety. It's a place where the hurts and fears of life cannot follow you. That stuff can't go in your prayer closet with you. That stuff can't go into the presence of the Lord with you. Sickness cannot dwell in the presence of the Lord. Fear cannot dwell in the presence of the Lord. Come on, somebody. Pain cannot dwell. Heartache cannot dwell. Sorrow cannot dwell in the presence of the Lord. That is your strong tower. Run to Him. Am I preaching? I'm sweating like I'm preaching. I'm a little sweat-acostal right now. Check, check out this verse. We read it already. Nahum chapter 1, verse 2. God is jealous. God, listen, human jealousy, your and I jealousy, really is tied to our sin nature. Can I just be honest with you? Because we're afraid of losing something or someone that's valuable to us. That's why we get jealous. But, but that's not the case with the Lord. The Bible says that God is jealous, and it doesn't mean that God's afraid of losing us because, oh, don't make me MC Hammer right now because you can't touch this. You know what I'm saying? You, you can't. You, don't, TJ. Get up and do it. Get, can't touch this. No, no, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't have the moves like I used to, and I, and I need some new moves. You know what I'm saying? But... I, you know, because MC Hammer's now doing commercials, you know, come in. All right, back to the Word of God. I got 10 minutes to. Listen, we're His, and nothing or no one can ever change that. What this means, God is jealous, is that, is that God views us as his own, and it grieves him when we don't come to him in times of trouble. It breaks his heart. He's like, I'm your strong tower. I'm your refuge. I'm your strength. I'm your joy. I'm your peace. But yet you're turning to everything else. I love 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. I love this part. His own special people. That's me. That's you. Come on, claim it. Name it and claim it. I'm all get a little pity castle. Grab it. 
Blab it and grab it, right? You are his own special people. My license plate says I'm God's favorite because it's true. DMV doesn't improve anything. It's not true. I am God's favorite. I am his own special people. In Nahum chapter 1, verse 3, it says, The Lord has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. This means God's in control. I love that text in, in, in Psalms where it says that the Lord commands every wave to stop. East coast, west coast, all the seas, the Lord talks to every wave, and they stop right where he tells them. Man, oh man, oh man. He is large and in charge. When the storms of life rise up against you, you'll find a place of refuge. You'll find a place of peace in the midst of the storm. You'll find that God is directing your paths for his glory. Listen, your steps are ordered of the Lord. Look at Proverbs 3, verse 5. Let's read this together. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. That word paths means that he's going to show you the unknown ways of life. Have you been questioning God? What, what, what do you have for my life? What, what direction do you want me to go? Listen, God directs your paths, but you have to trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding and acknowledge him, and then he directs you, amen? The thing about us is like, I'm going to, God, this is what I want to do, and I hope you co-sign it. Would you just bless that, Lord? Put a little blessing on it. We need to learn that even when we cannot see the way, he is the way. The truth and the life. Look at number three here. We have a heavenly acquaintance. Verse 7, again, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. And he knows those who trust in him. He knows those who trust. That word knows means to know intimately, to know by experience. It's the same word, Hebrew word used in Genesis chapter 4. Verse 11 where it says that Adam knew Eve. It's the same word used in Genesis chapter 21, where it says, I'll help you a little bit more. Abraham knew Sarah, and she conceived. Can't talk about sex in church. But that's the, that's the same translation. That, that, so God knows you intimately, is what I'm trying to say. He, he knows everything about you. He knows your name. He, he knows what you're facing. He knows what you're walking through. He knows what you're getting ready to walk into. Amen. He knows every detail of your life. He's even numbered the hairs on your head. And for some of you, that was real easy for him. Just saying. I'm not pointing anybody out. You know who you are. But he knows you intimately and completely. There's nothing about you, your life, or your situation, or anything going on that doesn't have his attention. John 10.10 10 tells us, 10.14, he says, I'm the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I am known by my own. Listen, God's people are more than just dumb, defenseless, directionless sheep. We are. And a matter of fact, John 15, he calls us his friends. 
Verse 15, no, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. So he's our shepherd, and he's our friend. But listen, it gets better than that. Because in Hebrews chapter 2, he calls us his brethren, his brothers and sisters, for both he has sanctified, and those are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Listen, what you need to hear right now is God is not ashamed of you. He has not agreed with all of your behavior. He has not liked everything that you've done in life. He is not ashamed of you. You are the apple of his eye. He cares deeply about you. You, specifically you, whoever you are, is why he sent his son to die on a cross. If you were the only person on the planet, the only one that needed to be redeemed, he still would have sent Jesus because it was the only way to accomplish the job that the law couldn't accomplish. Jesus became sin for us so that we might know the righteousness of him. Yes, I do remember. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. You see, he's, he's more than a leader of a bunch of dumb animals. He's more than a, than a friend to a gang of sinners. He has saved us by grace and brought us into his family. So in closing, I know that there's no doubt we've all felt overwhelmed by the darkness in our own lives, in our own cities, in our own world. Listen, Nahum lived during dark times. And I'm sure the, we'll call them the faithful few who were standing with them, must have wondered at times how long they would have to endure the trouble and the trial and the craziness around them. See, the book of Nahum, it reminds us that God's hand is active in everything. He's not standing idly by wondering what's going on in Iran or Israel. He's not worried about ISIS or ISIL if you're President Obama. I'm not poking fun. I don't, I'm not sure why. But whatever you want to call him, God's not worried about that. He's not, he's not wondering what's going to happen. I read the book, but he wrote it. Can I tell you, let you in on a secret that you may not know? We win. We win. You win. You are made victorious through Christ Jesus. I want to remind you today that the Lord is good. And this might be a good time for some of you to come and just stand and just praise him for his goodness. Just love on him for a minute. It might be a good time for some of you just to come back to him. Maybe you've drifted afar. Maybe you've, like the Ninevites or the Syrians, 
said yes to the Lord, and some time has passed, and completely turned away from the things of God. Would you stand with me and close your eyes? God, you are good. You're gracious, you're merciful, you're slow to anger, you care deeply about your, your children. And if you're here this morning and Jesus is not the Lord of your life, you've never invited him to be your Savior, you've never said yes to him been on the outside looking in, wondering what this faith thing's all about. Can I tell you? It's all about relationship. It's all about love. That's really all there is. It's not about collecting your money. It's not about this building. It's not. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. That will rock your world. It will change your life. Take it from a sinner, an ex-druggie, an ex-alcoholic, an ex-you name it, to God clean. If you're here this morning, you say, that's me, Pastor. I don't know Jesus. I've never invited him to be part of my life, but I want to do that right now. Would you just raise your hand? Show me your hand. I want to pray for you. Anybody here? Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Is there anybody else that wants to say yes to Jesus today? Well, how about this? What if you are someone who loves the Lord but have just found yourself far from him right now? You just feel like I, I've just have somewhere I got off track. And can I remind you that Proverbs says that your paths will be directed by him. Because he still loves you. He has still called you. And you still belong to him. For both groups, let's just say this prayer together. Because it doesn't ever hurt to the sinner's prayer together. Say, Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me that I've wandered. Good, forgive me for standing back and looking from the outside in. Forgive me of my sins. Help me to live for you today and for the rest of my life. I love you, Jesus, because you first loved me. In your name I pray. Amen.